Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Throughout the summer, we have been looking at some of the stories of the Old Testament. We looked at the book of Ruth and then the prophet Elijah, and we've begun and are almost finished now with the story of the prophet Elisha. This week and next week, we'll finish up our our look at his life and today of healing that God brings to a man named Naaman. Not just a physical healing, although he does that as well, but a spiritual healing that God brings. We're going to be looking at it in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along or if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can just listen as well. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 is found on page 576. Can you take a look at the board just for a second? When's the last time that was you? Well, maybe not the orange couch and the bathrobe, but when's the last time you were just knocked down sick? You know, didn't really, couldn't really get out of bed, didn't want to eat, couldn't sleep very well because maybe you couldn't breathe, right? Just felt lousy. It's at those times, isn't it, that maybe we'd almost do anything just to feel better again? It seems like that illness is going to go on and on and on. I think about those kind of illnesses, and and it reminds me that, that, boy, I should take my health not so for granted. And, And only when you get sick, maybe, do you really realize what a blessing it is to be healthy. That's exactly where we find Naaman today. Only his wasn't a common cold. It wasn't the flu. He had a disease for which there was no cure, the disease of leprosy. And as we look at this story today and what Elisha does for him, what God does through him for the prop, through the prophet Elisha, we're going to see that there's a, deep, a deeper healing than a physical healing that God has provided for you and for me too. So as we look at 2 Kings chapter 5 today and the healing of Naaman, let's be reminded that, that we're washed like Naaman for this life, but then even more, we're washed for eternity. Just to kind of give you a a real quick, simple map of where we're at in the world, we have the kingdom of Aram where Naaman is from directly north of Israel. There's the kingdom of Israel. You might recognize the Sea of Galilee there, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River in between. That's where the washing is going to happen today. Elisha is hanging out in Samaria, and it seems at least he references Damascus. Naaman is perhaps from the capital city as he references a couple of the rivers that flow through Damascus. So that's kind of where we're at in the world today. And what I'd love to do is read with you 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. It doesn't take many words from the author of 2 Kings to establish the important nature that Naaman had in Aram. He, he was a valiant soldier, we're told. He had won victories that the Lord had given him. He was highly regarded, a very respected man. But we're told all of that didn't really matter when it came to leprosy. Now, maybe as you've read through the Bible or heard Bible stories, you know a little bit about the disease of leprosy. Not as common today, at least it seems like it's not as common today as it was in Bible times. Often called Hansen's disease today, every once in a while you hear about it. As a matter of fact, I believe it was just last week that it made the news. There was a leprosy outbreak in Florida. Today, it's pretty easily cured with a regiment of antibacterial drugs, you can knock out any of the dangers that leprosy brings. But that wasn't the case in Bible times. There were no antibiotics. And so what was being faced by Naaman was some real trouble. You see, leprosy is a disease of decay. And what it actually does is the bacteria actually eat the body from the inside out. And so what leprosy really carried with it was a death sentence. You, you might even remember, especially in the New Testament, as Jesus meets with lepers, they're off living by themselves in their separate colony to not interact with other people. And it's, a, it's really, they're doomed to die in that way. You can almost feel, can't you, how hopeless and helpless Naaman's situation was? His disease was incurable. Can you imagine? And then maybe we have to say, we can't imagine. Even though leprosy today isn't a disease that very often takes people's lives, there are plenty of other diseases in this world for which there are not really great cures. Who of our families have not been touched by the disease of cancer? How many of our families have loved ones or, or people who are sitting here to very much today who have heart issues that are really incurable? Maybe lungs, maybe kidney or liver. There are diseases today that we face that really have no cure as well. Doctors can keep patients comfortable, but we know the sting that Naaman is feeling, where there was no hope for him to get rid of this disease of leprosy. But look at what God does. He puts the right person in the right place at just the right time. And this person is a servant girl. Can you imagine? Taken away from her home, captive, now she speaks up. When she finds out that Naaman has leprosy, she tells his wife, I know a prophet. I know a prophet in Samaria that can cure him of his leprosy. And you almost can feel, can't you, how fast things happen after that? She passes the message on to Naaman. He goes to the king. The king says, go, by all means, go, be healed. And you know what? I'll even send you a letter. And he sends the letter to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel's response is not exactly faith-filled, is it? Oh, what is this guy doing? Picking a quarrel with me. I can't heal. There's no way that we can heal this guy of his leprosy. And yet, God had a plan, didn't he? 
And I think about that when I think about the servant girl. It, it's pretty amazing that the chain of events that God had to have happen for that girl to be in the right place at the right time is truly remarkable. And then her willingness, her willingness to speak up. She's a stranger in a strange land, someone who has been taken captive, and yet she speaks out at the proper time. And through that, through her witness, God changes the life of Naaman. And then I think about me, and maybe you can relate to this a little bit. How often I have opportunities to let my speech be something that highlights and magnifies the grace of God, but I often choose a different route. If somebody comes to me and says they aren't feeling well, I can say, I hope you feel better. And that has come out of my mouth. But wouldn't it be so much better to say, I'm praying for you. When I ask someone how they're doing and they respond, can't I say something to the effect of, well, remember, Jesus loves you. Or can't we always say, God bless you today, instead of saying, have a great day. See, even those little comments that we can change our speech to highlight and magnify the grace of God might have a difference, might be all that a person needs to hear to look for what's really behind those blessings, a savior from sin. So Naaman goes, the king, not very happy about being sent someone with leprosy. Let's see what happens next. First Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 8 through 12. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. How exactly Elisha got the message that the king had torn his robes, we're not told. But he sends a message to the king and says, send him to me and then he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Elisha knew in some way that God was going to heal this man. And so Naaman comes to his door. Did you find this kind of odd? Elisha doesn't even bother to come out of his house. He sends a messenger out to tell him, oh yeah, just go wash in the Jordan seven times. I don't know if it was just that that led to Naaman's rage. Maybe it was everything altogether, the hopelessness that he felt, the helplessness that he was facing because there was no cure for his leprosy. Maybe it was the promise that something was going to happen and maybe this was the last resort. And he shows up in front of Elisha's house and the prophet doesn't even come out to greet him. It's kind of interesting how he says it, isn't it? I thought he would come out and wave his hand over the spot and my leprosy would be cured, right? But that's not what Elisha does. He just sends him a simple message. Maybe that's really at the heart of Naaman's rage. It just seemed too easy. Just go wash in a, the dirty Jordan River and that's going to cleanse me from my leprosy? How, how can that be? Do you feel it? The blow to the pride of Naaman, that this 
instruction from Elisha was to go wash seven times. He would have been willing to do just about anything, but something that simple just seemed like it couldn't possibly work. That's how God's word works, isn't it? It it, it takes humility to understand the promises of God. We have to humble ourselves to understand there's not a thing that we have to offer God. There's nothing that God can look at in me and say, that's a person that I want to save. It isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's all about God and his grace. And that humility is exactly what God needed Naaman to understand. That God's promises rely not on how good I am, not what I can bring to the table, but entirely on what God offers us freely. There's just no place for pride when it comes to God's promises. And that's tough for us, isn't it? It's tough to think that, that everyone in this world is just as deserving of God's grace as me, that I don't bring anything to God that anybody else could bring because we're all in need of the forgiveness that only God can offer. Would Naaman be willing to humble himself? Let's check out the end of the story in chapter 5, verses 13 to 19. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimen to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. That instruction that God gave to Naaman through Elisha, wash and be cleansed, you can feel it, can't you? There's a different picture there than than just a, a physical washing. Wash and be cleansed are the words that God says to each of us. You see, we have a much deeper problem than just leprosy on the outside. In one of the hymns we sang earlier, it said, cleanse us from the leprosy of sin. And leprosy is a pretty good picture of sin, isn't it? Something that eats away at us from the inside. Something that sometimes people can't see from the outside, but we know it's there. We feel it every time our selfish pride rears its ugly head. Every time that that we can't do the things that we want to do. When words come out of our mouths that we would love to rewind. But, But this is what God says to you and to me. Wash. Wash and be cleansed. Wash in the blood of my son Jesus who gave himself for you and be cleansed. Stand before me as holy and blameless because my son took your place. For many of us, that washing and cleansing happened when we couldn't even remember. 
Maybe as infants you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A washing of renewal and, and regeneration by the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls it. What an amazing blessing that God has washed us spiritually and cleansed us from sin. Maybe that's finally what Naaman realized, thanks to some pretty incredible servants, don't you think? It probably took a lot for his servants to come to Naaman and say, aren't you kind of being foolish here? Like, like if he would have asked you to do something great, you'd have done it. So, so why not just go and wash in the dirty Jordan River and see what happens? And so he does. And Naaman goes down into the Jordan River, washes seven times, and his flesh is restored, the Bible says, but not just restored. Did you catch it? Like that of a young boy. His flesh was younger than it had been before he ever had gotten the leprosy to begin with. It wasn't the only change that God made in the heart uh, or in the life of Naaman. He changed not just his physical nature, but his spiritual nature as well. Naaman makes a confession that he's only going to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. He offers gifts to Elisha. And maybe you were asking yourself as I read through that, why didn't Elisha accept the gifts? Would that have been that big of a deal? I mean, it certainly seems like Naaman had plenty to bring, the wealth that he brought with him. But here's the thought. Elisha knew that he could teach an important lesson to Naaman and the people of Aram. That God's grace wasn't for sale. That you can't buy what God freely offers. And so by not taking gifts from Naaman, he was demonstrating that the healing that he had, not just the physical healing, but the spiritual healing was all God's gift. Then a couple strange things happen in the text. You, you caught those, I'm sure. He asks for as much dirt as much soil as two mules can carry back with him to Aram because he's going to offer sacrifices to the true God and he wants to do it on Israelite soil. Did he really need to do that? No. But you can understand a, a brand new person who believes in the God of Israel wants to make sure he's doing everything just so. And so he offers to Elisha that there's a situation that he wants to make sure is okay as well. When he takes his master to his temple of the false god and, and he has to bow down with him, can he be forgiven for the fact that he's not really worshiping that false god? And Elisha tells him to go in peace. That's an amazing change, isn't it? From someone who didn't know the true God of Israel to someone who not just confessed him but wanted to take soil back to his homeland and then someone who also wanted to make sure that his words and actions were in line with what God wanted. Isn't that the change that God has made in each one of us? I can't tell you what's going to happen with your physical ailments. I can't promise you that God is going to heal every single one of those. But I can promise you the healing that God has already promised you, a spiritual healing, a healing that means that the blood of Jesus has made you whole, has put you before God as holy and righteous, clean from any sin. And it means that God's promise that you are an heir of eternal life is something that you can count on. You are spiritually healthy, healthy enough that you're going to spend eternity with your Savior in heaven, no matter what happens to your physical body in this life. 
a few takeaways from the sermon today. Number one, God's grace to us prepares us to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. Peter said almost the same thing in his first epistle that Peter, uh, in, uh, in the first epistle before chapter three, when he said this, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Number two, God's grace humbles us to see that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's how we come before God with a humble and penitent heart. We reflect what John said in his gospel, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Finally, number three, God's grace washes us clean in body and soul and gives us the gift of life forever. In his penitential psalm, Psalm 51, King David wrote this, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to think about the last time you were laid up sick or couldn't do the things that you wanted to do. And now I'm going to ask you to think about what it was like when you recovered. Can you remember that? Remember what it felt like to get a good night's sleep because you could breathe again? Remember what it was like to eat the things that you wanted to eat, to be able to go and do things outside, do your chores, go to work, have fun? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it, when you recover from illness? And then I think, isn't that the kind of joy we should have every single day? Because we have recovered, not from every physical illness that we could ever suffer, but from the spiritual illness of sin. We're completely recovered. We're completely forgiven and free of sin. We've been washed clean. And God promises you and me the gift of eternal life with him forever. That's something to celebrate every single day. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.